Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. Now, that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It should be available to every child, regardless of their background or anything, whatever, to do with their parents. Education should be a student's choice, not necessarily a parental choice. Uh, A public school should also be owned and controlled by the uh, public through their representatives, if parliamentary responsibility has got anything going for it. And they are the only ones that should be publicly funded because as we're discovering more and more and more, they are definitely the only ones that can be publicly accountable. As we've discovered in the last few weeks, the Catholic education officers, their bureaucracies throughout Australia are anything but accountable for billions of dollars of public money that is channelled into them every year in this country. Now, our governments should provide a public education for every child in this country, and they're not, because of the problems between the federal and the state governments. Our federation, as far as our children are concerned, has broken down. We have a website at www.adogs.info, and this is our latest press release, 708. It's already up there. Gonski 2.0 passes the House of Representatives. Now for negotiations with the Catholic sector. The Gonski 2.0 funding legislation passed the lower house with the help of independent Cathy McGowan and Rebecca Sharkey of the Nick's Xenophon team. I think that people should be looking very carefully at that Nick Xenophon team. Labor, the Greens and the independent Andrew Wilkie voted against it. Not necessarily, dear listeners, for the right reason. A Senate inquiry into the changes will be held before an upper house vote in late June. Well, that's a very interesting date, late June, because there's going to be a COAG meeting before then. And let's hope, dear listeners, that the state governments are demanding that they get a lot more money for public education than Mr Turnbull and Birmingham are prepared to give them. Now, the Catholic sector, who've been jumping up and down about the unfairness of it all, 
even though they're getting an extra money, 3.7% we're told. They're having second thoughts about what is in truth a very generous deal for them. After all, what they really want is a behind-the-scenes agreement that they can spend taxpayer dollars wherever and however they want. And they know full well that politicians value a quiet life over accountability for public money. So one wonders what's really going on behind the scenes right now. Actually, we have a few clues. According to Matthew Knott in the Fairfax Papers, the Archdiocese of Brisbane has assured parents their fees would not be going up next year and thanked the federal government for a commitment to fair and equitable funding. The Education Department has also announced that funding would be maintained for the ACT Catholic system until 2021 under a temporary assistance package. So that lot have been hosed down or paid off, whichever way you want to look at it. This is in contrast to modelling by the National Catholic Education Commission and it's published in The Australian earlier this month that some schools could face fee hikes of up to $6,000 because of the new funding model. But tensions have st- are still continuing between the Coalition and the Catholic Church over the possibility of less money for some Catholic schools, with senior Coalition figures, including former Prime Minister John Howard, involved in negotiations with high-level church officials to calm the waters. John Howard started the latest round of the greeds policy. Let's not call it a needs policy, what he started in 1999. And in the process, he's developed one of those special relationships with the Catholic sector. Forget about separation of church and state in Australia when it comes to taxpayers' money. So it's not unsurprising that the ABC had Howard on TV exuding concern about the coalition education funding policy and his fundamental belief in educational choice for those whom he he, he values politically, of course. Turnbull and Birmingham have consequently rolled him out in the current debate with the Catholic school sector over what the sector says, will be a shortfall in funding for some Catholic schools under Malcolm Turnbull's Gonski 2.0 plan. Meanwhile, the state schools have been dudded once again and they will be forced to beg some crumbs from the private school table. So that is press release 708 for this week and... um, We'll have a little bit of music and we'll see what Robert has got to say.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. The Dogs, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. That's what we do every week here um, on Community Radio um, in the midday sort of hour on a Saturday on 3CR. Also, podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, welcome. Um, Look, people go on about truth often. They say truth is immutable. You tell the truth, don't tell the truth. But here on the dogs, we've been telling the same truth in different guises, in different words, in different phrases, for different times, for different generations now, for for many, many decades. Um, Truth isn't immutable. Truth can be expressed in very different ways. The same thing. We say the same thing. No state aid for private providers of education in Australia. Now, it's a very specific thing. Um, but it's a very important thing, and because we keep doing it, we have to keep stating that the truth is that to take away money from private providers of education in Australia is the only effective way to have to generate an education system in Australia that works for all Australians, not just for some. Um, as I say, truth this, this truth is expressed in many different ways, and um, through the week, one of our listeners was informed us that a fellow called Ian Webb has a little blog um, and he expresses his truth in a particularly interesting way which I think is worth sharing, Ian Webb. He's, he talk, talks about it in terms of paradox and it's a paradox at the heart of Australia's school system and he expresses the paradox like this. He says, to make the Australian school system work governments have made it virtually impossible for the majority of schools to be high-performing schools. So the system that we currently have makes it virtually impossible for the majority of people to have the best education. That's, I think, at the heart of Gonski 1.0 and Gonski 2.0. That is the fundamental problem. Now, to elaborate that, I think he's quite clear, and it's worth sort of um, dealing with what he says. He says, governments have placed major restrictions on the majority of schools while giving other schools millions of dollars and a free hand. Um, and he says the success of a school in Australia at the moment, any school, your school, my school, since this or such and such secondary college, doesn't matter, the success of any school is largely determined by three overlapping elements, the communities, the resources and the students. And he says there are two types of schools in Australia. There are restricted schools and there are unrestricted schools. Restricted schools are shaped by the communities in their area and work within capped resources and do their best to provide for the students who attend the school. That is, in in old school terms, back in the 50s and the 40s and before, and perhaps in other countries, that is your local school. Yes, it is restricted. If you live there, that's where you go. Um, There are a certain number of resources. Maybe it's sufficient, maybe it's insufficient, but they're capped. And the teachers in those schools do their best to provide for the students who attend the schools. But in Australia, we have a second type. We have what are called unrestricted schools, or what Ian calls unrestricted schools. Now, these who can choose their students, from whom those they are willing to make provision for. In the process, these schools shape their communities and usually gain access to additional resources. These schools are able to readily achieve a level of synergy that is much more difficult for restricted schools to achieve. Now... We talk about public and private schools, but I like his definitions. I think they're very interesting ones. They're sort of not pejorative. They don't necessarily have any baggage. They're new ways of looking at the same fundamental truth. So I'll say that again. An unrestricted school in Australia is one that can 
choose the students for whom they are willing to make provision. And in the process, they can shape their own communities and usually gain access to additional resources. These schools are able to readily achieve a level of synergy that is much more difficult for a restricted school to achieve. Now, according to the MyScore website, the best performing students are from the latter unrestricted school groups. So, why have governments imposed restrictions on the majority of schools? Well, this is the paradox that Ian is, is highlighting, and it's an interesting paradox. So, if unrestricted schools do better than restricted schools, why do governments impose restrictions on schools? Well, there's a couple of very good reasons, and here we step outside of the education debate and go into the broader you know, society debate. That's because all children, all children are required to be educated, not just the ones you like, not just the ones with the right skin colours, not just the ones with the right coloured eyes, not just the ones with the right height or the sporting ability or mathematical ability or English ability or writing ability, all the children. And a government actually has a responsibility to educate all the children. So that's a reason why we have local schools. Another reason why governments impose restrictions on the majority of schools is that the system actually just wouldn't work without locally zoned schools that must, under law, accept all students. And also, in contrast, the best performing schools, and this is according to my school, are not zoned. They can pick and choose which students they accept and reject. They can set their own fees to any amount of money that they wish to choose to exclude poor people. They can attract and or steal the best and brightest students from any other school that they like. And they are not obliged at all to be good educational citizens. And, they are, and unrestricted schools aren't obliged at all to, to, to do anything for the benefit of anyone else apart from themselves. And all the while, unrestricted schools receive millions of dollars in government recurrent and capital funding in the same way that restricted schools do, either the equal amounts, slightly less, or indeed slightly more. Now, this is, I think, the fundamental paradox. In the entire debate, from Birmingham to, to the bishops of the Catholic Archdiocese to, to, to across the entire debate, this paradox is never actually mentioned. Everyone's talking about state schools and private schools like they're comparing apples with apples, but they're not. A private school is an unrestricted school. They can cherry-pick. They can do what they like. They are not indeed obliged to do anything for the benefit of anyone else apart from themselves. The Catholic Education Office is under no obligation in Victoria to act in anyone's best interest apart from itself. It is not a public institution. It wasn't designed as a public institution. It is, in fact, a private enterprise with a religious basis um, that is acting in its own self-interest with taxpayers' money. I think this is what Ian Webb is saying, this paradox of talking about like and like, but in fact the fundamental crux, the truth at the heart of this, is the fundamental differences. And there's actually another paradox, Robert, which is that the state schools, which are the restricted schools again and again have been proved when their students get to university to have been providing a better education than the unrestricted schools, which means that the unrestricted schools are not, in fact, doing the job that they're being paid to do. They are inefficient and they are really not, in the end, about education at all. Mm. Which I think is a very good point to make at this point because what I'm saying here is not to say that 
what what Ian Webb terms restricted schools are in any fact way inferior because he does point out, and he's very careful to, and this is a point I was going to make, and Jean, I think you're right to say what you do, is he says that the ratings of how good or not good schools are are rated according to what comes up on the My School website. Now, the My School website depends upon NAPLAN, and as we know, hmm. restricted schools, because of, because of who they serve, and because of the way they go about things, do not spend a great deal of time teaching for the test. They spend a great deal of time teaching the kids what they need to know. Unrestricted schools can spend all the time they like, because they are unrestricted, teaching their students for the test, which is the assessment which my school uses to assess them as being uh, a good school in the first place. So the whole process of the restricted-unrestricted things means that unrestricted schools have the capacity to, and in many cases choose to in an active way, game the assessment which assesses them as being better in the first place. Now, there is some evidence that all schools attempt to do this, but unrestricted schools, of course, are not restricted and can do whatever they like. Private schools can be part of this process. So his definition, and sort of stepping outside of the public-private and talking about restricted and unrestricted instead, I think gives us another lens on another very simple truth. And the simple truth is not being addressed by various commentators. It's not being addressed by the various participants. And it is required to be addressed by us here on 3CR because it's at the heart of the matter. Now, the heart of the matter is if you give a dollar to a child in a state school, it will go to good purpose. If if you're forced to give a dollar to a child in a private school, whether they need it or not, you have absolutely no control over how that dollar is spent. And this is starting to come out over this whole debate just recently, especially in terms of the Catholic education um, sort of Catholic education hierarchies and bureaucracies in each of the separate states, because it's come out just very clearly that they spend the money the way they want to spend the money. We, the taxpayers, once we give it to them, have no call. We have no choice. We have no recourse to any understanding about how that's spent. Every now and then, an auditor general will pop up and say, hey, hang on, that's not right. And the Catholic Education Office will say, oh, shut up. (laughs) Shut up, Auditor General, they'll say. What do you know? Anyway, you're just anti-Catholic and biased and go away. And in Australia, the various executives in charge of the Catholic Education Offices in various states can say that and get away with it. It, They just say it and everyone goes, oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) And the whole thing dies down. It happens about these days about every six months, doesn't it, Jane? Sometimes in Queensland, then New South Wales, then Victoria, then federally. These little sort of, hey, hang on, where's all this taxpayer's money going? And the whole debate just dies down when the executives of the various Catholic education authorities just pop up and say, oh, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. We know how to spend money. We're the Catholic Church. Go away. It's taken about uh, 50 years for them actually to get to this point. In the 19th century, it took about uh, 10 to 20 years for um, the so-called representatives of the people to realise that um, taxpayers' money... Uh, had to be accounted for and people were restive. But um, the plain fact of the matter is, Robert, that uh, these schools, uh, the teachers in these schools, are now virtually on the public payroll. Uh, But we'll talk about those figures a bit later. Yes, I I think that's a very good idea because I have a very interesting um, article here by... By Lindsay Connors. Yes. Now, Lindsay Connors is a very interesting uh, figure, and, and before before I actually deal with, with what, what Lindsay Connors, Connors is saying today, here, <laughs> what yes. Lindsay Connors is today, Lindsay Connors has said many things in the past 
And I think before we go into this, um, in terms of uh, the funding arrangements and the payment of teachers in private schools, which I think Lindsay Connors highlights in a, in a quite direct way, um, I think it's worth getting a bit of context because sometimes the voice, uh, understanding, uh, understanding the voice allows you to understand what they're saying more clearly. Can you tell us anything about Lindsay Connors, Jane? Oh, yes. Lindsay Connors uh, goes back, way back, into uh, Joan Kerner's day. She was a friend of Joan Kerner's and she was a parent representative. Uh, she was also on the Schools Commission, I believe. Uh, she helped Joan Kerner uh, get rid of the no state aid policy out of the parents' organisations. Um, and then Joan Kerner, of course... Uh, when was this? Oh, this was in the 70s and 80s. Okay, in the 70s. So in the 70s and 80s, she was pro-state aid. Yes, she was. Right. Um, and the reason for this was that she was conflicted herself. There were members of her family that we've still, um, that we've still, we've since discovered, went to Catholic schools. She has grandchildren in Catholic schools, and she has grandchildren in public schools. And now she is in the situation of understanding uh, just what has really happened. The um, children in public schools are being shortchanged. Uh, f- financially by the government, not educationally, uh, than her Catholic grandchildren. But she did very well out of um, out of it. She, uh, she well, survived the, the corridors of power and she's had an academic career. And she's got an Order of Australia as well. Has she really? Yes, she does. Yes, well, she's, um, she's uh, gone with the flow, but uh, she's going with the flow again. And the flow now is towards the anti-state aid position. So uh, her it, it work, is. I mean, she, she does her facts and her figures. Oh, uh, she does, she does. And, and, uh, and um, I mean... I'd, well, she gets them from Trevor Cobalt and, um, uh, and she has a very interesting point to make now about what the Catholic authorities are saying because fundamentally she, like a lot of the Save Our Schools people, has always believed that the needs policy was the way to go and that state aid was a finished um, issue, that there was always going Mm. to be state aid. There will never not be state aid. Well, uh, the dogs, of course, take a different position. We we realise that anything can happen. Uh, I take the position personally that I went to bed one one night in 1989, and when I got up in the morning, the Berlin Wall was down. And after that, Berlin and um, and uh, Germany got together again. But um, so anything can happen. I don't think that uh, it's good enough for people to say, "I'll oh, go away, dogs." Uh, the state aid issue has been decided long ago, and it's not going to change. I think anything can happen, oh, and it should. I think well, it, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Certainly, in the last twelve months, Jane, and I think this is a very interesting point that you make. The whole question of we being here, the defenders of government schools on three CR, you know, uh, many people would dismiss us as as fringe dwellers in the education debate because we've always said and continue to say that there should be no state aid for any any private schools. Um, there's always been a very significant proportion of the population that would say exactly the same thing. But in the corridors of power, and certainly in the corridors of academia, people will say, oh, yes, you can say that, and that's probably true, but it will never happen in Australia. It will never happen here, so there's no point talking about it. You must talk about what's possible. You must talk about trying to get the most amount of money for state schools without changing and shifting the system. We must beg for the crumbs from the table. That's the way it works in Australia. And here at the dogs, we said, no. 
no, that's a fundamental principle at heart. Um, you should not give money to um, private schools because the education of the children of the nation is the responsible of the country, of the parliament, and indeed of the responsible minister. If it goes wrong, minister gets sacked. That's the way you do it. It's just very simple. Um, but in the last 12 months, we're, we're, not, we're not on the fringe anymore. I don't think we're quite at the centre of the debate yet, Jane. I, I, don't, I don't think we're the sort of even-handed people who are at the centre of the debate, who are willing to sort of um, countenance compromise, because we've never countenanced compromise. <laughs> um, but we're certainly not on the edges anymore. Um, and I think it's sort of it's deeply informative that someone like Lindsay Connors, and thanks, Jane, for giving us a background there, someone like Lindsay Connors, who is a respected commentator in the area. I wouldn't say necessarily always respected by us, but, but generally a respected commentator in the area. I mean, they have an order in Australia. Um, they've written some interesting articles. They wrote a very interesting book called The Imperatives for School Funding, Equity, Sustainability and Achievement. She published that, co-authored with Jim McMorrow a couple of years ago and published by the Australian Council for Educational Research, which, you know, for whatever you say, the Australian Council for Ed- Ed- Educational Research does give good figures. Sometimes it puts some interesting, you know, interpretations on that, but that's but that's just all part of the hurly burly of life. But the ACER are a generally respected body. They are, in fact, uh, responsible in Australia for rolling out the PISA international study each each mm. four years. So Lindsay Connors and what she's writing now is just absolutely fascinating. It could almost be a dog's press release. It could almost be, almost, almost, not quite. Yeah, the Save Our Schools people are almost there and the news this week is that there is a group within the Australian Education Union who are there who are looking to set up an anti-state aid group because Hmm. the Australian Education Union also uh, became compromised when it all got too hard. Mm, It did. And, you know, because there's the Independent Teachers Union as well who who represent, and the AEU and the Independent Teachers, you know, they don't necessarily want to fight each other. Although in the same... same, uh, ..building Um, at one stage. Yes, that's right. I mean, they don't want to fight each other, but it's come to the point where... Well, I think it's a bit sad. People, the debate isn't shifting because we've argued well, Jane. I mean, I'd love to say it is. I'd, I'd love to say that we have contributed in, this, in, a, in, a, in a vastly significant way and that, and, and that Mr Birmingham listens to the dogs every week. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. It's falling down because it's wasting so much money. There is so much money going down the drain because of... They're what I would term corrupt processes that are involved, and we're behind. The we're econ- falling behind, and we're falling rest. behind the rest of the country, rest of the world. Um, various states are certainly, various schools are certainly falling behind because they're just completely under resourced. We stuffed it up, and when you look around about where the money's gone, people are now starting to wake up where the money's gone, and it's gone into over-servicing, over-servicing students who do not require public funding. Over-servicing those students, all that money is wasted. That child, that over-serviced child was going to get the marks they were going to get. They were going to get the education they were going to get come hell or high water. We throw money at government money at them, it's just a waste. They're going to do as well as they were going to do. Life life brings all sorts of things to various students. But if you're born to a wealthy family who values education and your parents contribute a great deal of money to your education and the government throws in an extra dollar as well, apart from the dollar you throw in, it's actually wasted money. 
if you're going to have a private school system, it needs to be small, it needs to be on the fringe, and if you're going to have an elite system, you know, social system that subscribes to it, well, I suppose go for your life. Personally, I think that's a bit un-Australian, and I hate to use that phrase, but if, if you're going to create yourself an aristocracy, well, then do it properly. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Let's go back to what Lindsay Connors is saying today in 2017 after a little bit of music. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast through the www's at 3cr.org. Um, we are the defenders of government schools. We always have been, we always will be, and it's good to have your company again. Um, I was promising before that little bit of music that we were going to have the words of Lindsay Connors, a sort of a, a newly minted advocate for state schools in Australia after his history of indeed... Um, um, supporting state aid for private schools. Well, she writes on John Menadue's Pearls and Irritations blog um, um, on the first of on the first of um, June on, in twenty seventeen. First published, of course, on the thirtieth of May, twenty seventeen. Um, she writes that we need to deal with the facts when it comes to the school funding debate, because the Catholic leaders in Australia, and you know, I don't want to talk about Catholics and Protestants. I mean, that's an old debate, but, you know, we have to talk about it because the Catholic leaders are responsible for vast billions of dollars of taxpayers' money in delivering education in Australia. So I have to talk about the Catholic leaders. Um, You know, I can say the word any way I like, but you've got to say it because that's what it is. Um, Now, they're raising lots of objections to the Turnbull government's Gonski 2.0 funding model. And... The fact that they're whinging and whining, though those are my words, raise many questions about the governance and operation of actually how the Catholic school system works. One of these questions is, who pays for the teachers in Catholic schools? Who actually pays for all those Catholic teachers in all those Catholic schools? Now, the re-emergence of the political debate about public funding for schools has produced surprising twists and turns over the last little while, according to Lindsay Connors, but none has been more surprising than the fact that Catholic leaders would choose to use teacher salaries as the grounds on which to spread panic in the Catholic school community to exert political pressure on governments. Now, it's surprising because Catholic authorities employ the teachers in their schools. Um, Sorry, Catholic authorities... While they do employ the teachers in their schools, they don't actually pay the bill. They're managers of someone else's money. Now, who else's money are they managing? Now, whether or not this is how the funds received from the governments are represented in the eternal accounting methods of the Catholic education system, the fact is 
the taxpayer now foots the bill for staffing Catholic schools through their government, Commonwealth and state, um, Commonwealth and um, through their governments, both Commonwealth and state. So the answer is, you pay for the teachers in Catholic schools if you're a taxpayer. If you don't pay taxes, maybe you live overseas, maybe you're listening to us from Germany, well, I'm not talking to you, um, but if you are an Australian citizen and you do pay taxes, you are paying for the teachers in Catholic schools. Now, the latest publicly available figures are actually from 2015. They're not up to date at all because these figures are actually quite hard to get hold of. And they're derived from figures available through the My School Data, um, the 2013 National Report of Schooling and the 2015 Annual Report on National Catholic Education Commissions. This reveals the following facts from two years ago. There are 51,995 teachers in Catholic schools in Australia. That's a lot of teachers. The estimated expenditure on teacher salaries in Catholic schools was around $5.2 billion every year. The government provides total recurrent grants for all of the schools in which these teachers teach of $7.4 billion, not $5.2. The Commonwealth recurrent grants for Catholic schools amounted to around $5.7 billion and the states kicked in another almost $2 billion. So, in 2015, there were 20,620 non-teaching staff in Catholic schools. That's your cooks and your cleaners and um, your teachers' aides and their staff administrations and all that sort of stuff. The expenditure on these people amounted to around about $1.4 billion. So teachers, well, their costs are 5.2 and the non-teaching staff, that's 1.4. I'll do my maths, that adds up to 6 or $6.6 billion for all, paying all the people in all the Catholic schools in Australia. But the government provides a grant to run the school of $7.4 billion, which is about a billion dollars more than it costs to pay the teachers. Now, the truth is that the level of public recurrent funding now being provided by the Commonwealth alone is more than is needed by the Catholic school authorities to pay their teachers. And the combined recurrent grants received from federal and state government is more than it requires to cover the total staffing costs in these schools, both teaching and non-teaching. Now notice, when I'm telling you this over the radio, I'm trying not to mansplain, I'm not actually talking about parental contributions in these Catholic schools at all yet. I'm not talking about the fees that the parents pay. I'm just talking about taxpayers' money. The taxpayers' money that is given to the Catholic education system is more than enough to pay all of the teachers and all of the non-teaching staff in Australia. The fact that the government grants to private school sector now well exceed the sector's total expenditure on teachers has been known, but has not been published or publicised by either governments or non-governments, including the Catholic school authorities. Now, the Catholic leaders and school authorities are not alone in raising objections to aspects of the Turnbull government's new funding plan, Gonski 2.0. Now, in his article, confirming that the school funding is a very complex issue in Australia and there is now a poisonous cocktail, Frank Brennan has rightly argued that their particular objections need to be considered on their merits. Now, one of these objections is that, and I quote, after the first four years, the indexation of the Commonwealth funding formula changes will 
with the result that the teachers' wages in the non-government sector might remain depressed for a decade while wages in the government sector will increase. This is Frank Brennan. Who's Frank Brennan, Jane? I thought that he was uh, he's very important for the Catholic um, universities, isn't he? And oh, yes, um, he, he was is. also yes, yes. I thought that he was in the legal the legal system. He is indeed. So what Frank Brennan is saying is saying, Oh, this whole thing means that we're we're gonna have to underpay our teachers in Catholic school systems. Um, Lindsay Connors says well, actually, you know, she says, I'll, I'll read her words, but see if we can read between her words. She says, it is hard to find any merit in this tenuous suggestion. Um, yeah, there are other ways in Australia of, of um, expressing those same words. Um, one is that that's a load of rubbish. There's, and this is why. There has already been an announcement in the 2016 budget that the indexation would be set by the Commonwealth at a rate of about 3.56%. The Turnbull government has subsequently announced that this deemed weight will be maintained for the schools in 2018 all the way to 2020, prior to the adoption of the more conventional and principled floating index, heavily weighted by movements in teacher salaries in government schools. So what he's saying is that it's just... Actual, what she's saying is it's not actually true. Now, another one. There have been references by the Bishop's Commission of the Catholic Education Office to the rightful autonomy of the Catholic sector. Now, this is interesting, Jean. They're returning to the... This to, is the to, crux of the matter. Yeah. The Catholic Church has always wanted to have uh, public money to do what they want to do with. And this was why they withdrew their schools from uh, public funding in the 19th century. And this is really what it's about. They are a state within a state, an imperium in imperio. Hmm. And here it's coming back again. Like this is this is stuff that hasn't been in the public sphere, or, the, or you know, I mean, the fact that I'm talking about Catholics and Catholics as, um, is relevant to a broader broader debate, not just the education debate. It's, it's relevant to the debate. I'm talking about these things. Now they're talking about their concept of what they will call rightful autonomy of the Catholic sector, and this is echoed in statements by the National Catholic Education Commission. This and really she, means the power of the bishops to run the show. Um. And actually, Lindsay Connors says, um, this is misleading in relation to the school's funding. You see, autonomous, autonomy, in that context, implies that they are self-sufficient. If you wish to make decisions and be autonomous, then you cannot be dependent upon others for your living. If you are a wage earner, you cannot be autonomous from the person who pays your wages. If you are, if you are receiving money from someone... For, for the delivery of a service, you cannot be autonomous of the person who is giving you the money. But why wasn't and she Lindsay saying this says, well, years she, ago? She wasn't saying it years ago, but she is saying it now. She says, this whole idea of autonomy is at odds with reality. The Catholic Church is now reliant on governments to staff its schools. And she goes on to say several points. Firstly, while it continues to set the conditions and the price that govern entry to its schools, the truth is that the Catholic Church itself now has very little financial skin in the game. The Catholic Church contributes a minuscule proportion of the funding to its systemic schools. In accounting terms, its contribution will be described as, and I quote, the user cost of capital. And even in relation to capital, it's clear that the level of recurrent, recurrent provided by governments has enabled incomes from parents' fees to be channeled into funding buildings and facilities. And she says... Catholic schools are now funded by parents 
and governments, but overwhelmingly by governments. These schools are not funded by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church does not contribute any funding, very little financially to these schools. And they are now, in that situation, saying we demand the rightful autonomy to run our own schools, but they're not paying for them. Now, among the fears being spread by church leaders and school authorities is the prospect of forced increases in school fees. This claim also needs to be examined in the light of facts. Over the years, 2009 to 2015, based again on my school data, Catholic school authorities themselves raised fees in their schools by over 40%. While, over the very same period, public recurrent funding for those very same schools rose by 36%. Over the same period, wages rose by just under 22%. What this means is that even when public funding in their schools was being increased, public funding was being increased, the fees in Catholic schools were being increased by their owners at a rate well over and excess of inflation and creating a panic over rising fees in these circumstances would, uh, Lindsay Conzer says, be at the very least disingenuous. Gee, she's polite, isn't she? She doesn't really talk in Australian. She's an academic. Yeah, she's saying it's being disingenuous. There, There is another word for that, which is complete rubbish. She says, if there is any justification for panic in our national schools' funding arrangements, it is that governments, Commonwealth and State, have entrusted the schooling of around one-third of our total student population to private providers. They have done this through a unique form of public-private partnership that lacks most, if not any, of the contractual obligations that normally characterise such arrangements. But, rather than panic, there is a need for calm, she says. Rational and transparent consideration of how best to build a responsible means of safeguarding children and teachers, not to mention state governments, Good against, luck to her. against Good the luck risks to her. so clear and inherent in this bizarre system. Now, this is where she pulls back. She's made the argument. She says it's all a load of rubbish. It's all terrible. All these arguments don't stack up. We're in serious trouble. And then she pulls back and says, ah, oh, but we need to think about it some more. Even though she calls the system which we currently have in Australia, this isn't future, our current system she calls bizarre because it is bizarre. Corrupt is a better word. Well, it's a word I would use. Um, she's not going to use that word. She calls it bizarre. She said, leaving aside the handful of extremely well-resourced private schools, every school student in Australia is now in a classroom being taught by teachers who are directly or indirectly on the public payroll. Well, perhaps they should be appointed by a central body who Whoa. also looks at their, um, their actual... Uh, uh, Jane, 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 Jane. Um, directly or indirectly on the public payroll. That's a constitutional issue. That gets to your section 116. Oh, good luck to you with the High yeah. Court on that one, Robert. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> it's been read down and out. I do understand that, Jane, <laughs> but the questions are now being asked in 2017. Yes, I think I think even, even a very lay people who don't talk academic talk can understand that this is um, uh, an entanglement of church and state. Oh, absolutely. Now, she does go on to... I, I won't... I mean... Or maybe I should. So, so as I'm not disingenuous, she does go on to um, to some some very, 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 very light conclusions. Um, she's highlighted the basic problems, but then again, I'll, perhaps in her own words, I can describe what she says. She says we need. She says we need at the first opportunity to construct public funding arrangements that are linked explicitly and directly to this fact. 
School funding arrangements are focused on recruiting, developing, nurturing and remunerating teachers and on planning the distribution of our teaching force in ways that provide all of our students with access to the highest quality teaching. Um, yeah, uh, Back to some other oh, points. Yeah, yeah, I, think, I, think, I think we've all... Good report but, writing, but, yes. But, yes. To, but to be fair to Lindsay Collins, I think we have to let her conclude in her own words rather than just say, and then she goes on and makes some other good statements. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there, there's one last. She, she concludes by saying, we owe our children no less than this. Um, yeah, we, we owe yeah, our yes. children a, a top-rate public education system that's publicly funded and publicly available in every every position in Australia. And if we can't do this under the present funding arrangements, then we should withdraw it from these so-called unrestricted schools. Indeed. What you, you... I find interesting about her uh, more historical account that she has on the um, a Save Our Schools website... Which... Well, it's uh, actually not the, the Save Our Schools. No, it's interesting. It's, that's Pearls and Irritation. It's John Meridue's oh. blog. It's a very interesting right. uh, blog. But um, I think we'll come to that after, after a little bit of music. Mm-hmm. The Dogs. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools has been fighting for free, universal public education since the 60s. To find out more, please visit our website at www adogs.info That's www.adogs.info Weekly podcasts of the Dogs program are available at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au The Dogs are a 3CR supporter. Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program in the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And Robert has been telling you what Lindsay Connors, who is um, an academic in Sydney uh, with a long history of believing in needs policies and um, having a very interesting career, starting off as as a parent of a child in a state school, uh, how she sees the situation. Now, as we also told you, Lindsay Connors was severely compromised on the state aid issue uh, when she was on the Schools Commission that was set up by the Whitlam government. But she's written a, a sort of a potted history uh, in which she says everything went wrong, not with the Schools Commission, but with Mr Howard in 1999. But she does have to admit that way back in 1972, with the newly elected Whitlam government, when they appointed an interim committee for an Australian Schools Commission, headed by Peter Carmel, the leading economist from South Australia, the report was specific in its advice on accountability in 1973, even though they knew that accountability was never going to be an option once they became involved with the Catholic Church. It, and, and Carmel said that there was a problem for pub, accountability for public funding of Catholic systemic schools way back then. He warned that there was a spe- special difficulty because these schools cannot be said to have governing bodies in the accepted sense. Well, that's because although you have Catholic education offices that were set up to get the funding and dispose of it, sitting at the top of everything in corporation soul is the Archbishop. He owns the lot. 
That actually is the legal position of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Whitlam back then, oh, sorry, Carmel back then, recommended this anomaly be dealt with by the establishment in each state of a board of trustees for Catholic systemic schools to which Australian government grants would be paid and which would be responsible at law for ensuring that they were used for the purposes intended. And it also recommended that these boards of trustees would contain some membership representative of the public interest to be appointed by the Commonwealth Minister. Well, they were never set up. Um, the Catholic Education Commissions don't have any government representative on them. And I'm sure that if they did, they would be members of that church anyway. But um, Carmel understood what the dogs also understood you can never get accountability from private religious schools. Mm. Uh, you might hope to get a bit more from your um, other so-called religious schools, but we've discovered that you can't get it uh, from the Muslim schools and there's also a question of the Christian schools as well. So... Uh, the dogs way back in the 1970s, as soon as the first uh, government monies were passed into the Catholic Education Offices, revealed in full-page advertisements that were paid for by dogs members that things were not right, that the money was not going where it should go to disadvantaged students. And suddenly, this is what, 50 years later the figures are coming out. Mm -hmm. And we have to thank Julia Gillard for that. You do have to thank Julia Gillard for the My School website because at least there are some figures, by no means all of the figures, but some figures that people can now look at and say, oh, no, just a minute, what's going on here? But I'd now like to uh, get Dale to read something from a very interesting blog by a principal called... Uh, Mr. Webb, Ivan Webb, and he is talking about two schools down in Launceston because ordinary parents and ordinary citizens look at what's happening and what they see are two schools close by that are just so different. One is just so wealthy and one is just so disadvantaged. So over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. I've got the article of the blog here. It's A Tale of Two Schools. It is bizarre how poorly Australia understands the differences between schools and how the general discourse assumes that the difference between schools are not all that significant and don't need much more attention than some my school comparisons and a bit of extra funding. Compare these two neighbouring schools, neighbouring schools in Launceston. The order of items is not intended to imply any order of significance. How does your, compare, your school compare? Is it more like School A or School B? School A, an elite private school. One, unzoned, so there's a worldwide intake. Two, uncapped fees and charges. Three, selective, can accept or reject any enrolment application. Four, selects students from all Launceston suburbs and provides direct bus transport in many cases and beyond. Five, uh, may offer scholarships to top students from local primary schools at no cost. Eight, 
uh, six, sorry, 80% of families are above average SES. Seven, student-teacher teacher ratio is 9.3, which enhances the ability to be selective. Eight, government funding per student is $9,600. Nine, total recurrent funding, $20,000 per student. Ten, has considerable discretionary resources for non-educational purposes. Eleven, considerable social and political capital. Twelve, minimal supervision from governments. Thirteen, deals directly with governments. Fourteen, chooses its own policies. Fifteen, free to comment publicly. Sixteen, sets its own policies and decides its own responses. Seventeen, provides a rich extended curriculum together with extensive extracurricular experiences. Eighteen, staff mainly teach within areas of expertise. Nineteen, student ability range in most classes is only a few years. And twenty, supports charities that work with disadvantaged elsewhere. Okay, and School B, the disadvantaged high school right next door. It's zoned, as in restricted to local suburbs, including the location of Studio B, that are including the location of, stu- of School B. Two, the fees are capped. Three, it's non-selective in that it's obliged to enrol any student living in that school zone. Four, it serves the local suburbs, mainly lower socioeconomic areas. Five, it may offer token scholarships involving cash. Six, 92% of the families are below average SES. Seven, student-teacher ratio is 12.8, nearly 40% higher. Eight, government funding is 14.2k per student. Total recurrent funding, nine, total recurrent funding is 14.5 per student. 10. No discretionary resources. Does not have enough resources to meet the educational requirements of all students. 11. Very limited social and political capital. 12. Closely supervised. 13. Deals with government department. 14. Subject to government direction and supervision. 15. Silenced. Not allowed to public comment, comment publicly. Uh, 16, required to comply with departmental policies. 17, provides a basic curriculum. 18, many staff have to teach outside their areas of expertise. 19, student ability ranges in most classes over several years. Uh, And 20, works with charities and volunteers to support its own disadvantaged students. The cost of equality. To match school A, school B must offer everything that school A offers which would add an extra $20,000 in cost from the government plus uh, an extra $5,000 from parents. Uh, and also it would have to make additional provision to address educational disadvantage of individual students, which is another 7000 So all up it would be $32,000 per student per annum and to uh, enable School B to provide the same opportunities as School A. And it's currently... 14 per student. Also, it would cost many millions of dollars to provide equivalent facilities and equipment. These two schools illustrate the concentration of advantage and disadvantage in different but neighbouring schools. In fact, School A is in School B's zone. Thanks, Dale. You've been listening to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools, here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast through the www.3cr.org. Um, don't forget... 
Oh, is it .au? Yeah, yeah it is. Sorry. Oh, Dale's, Dale's is very good. 3cr.org.au. Don't forget, uh, dear listeners, we have Radiothon coming up. Um, that's in a couple of weeks, so be tuned for that. We'll be coming to you through the airwaves, and we won't be talking at you. We'll be asking you to contribute to this wonderful radio station, 3CR, which has been here all these decades, and indeed to support the DOGS program as well. But if you're interested in anything we've been speaking about, you certainly can de- deal with what we're talking about in much greater depth if you go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's info, I should say. That's www.adogs, all one word, dot info. Um, but until next week, from G, myself and Dale, uh, when the fight will, as I say, continue in these interesting times, um, it's bye for now. Mm-hmm.